Welcome to the Heart of a Man podcast. We are a movement of men in central Indiana pursuing meaningful friendships, faith, and character. Today's talk is from our founder, Bill Moore, on Philippians chapter 4. Stick around at the end for some additional thoughts, and we hope you're inspired by the ideas. Well, my wife last week, uh, in the midst of what was one of the toughest weeks of my life, as the week winded down, asked me a question, and she sincerely looked me in the eyes we were driving down the road and said, when do you think you'll ever relax and enjoy your life? Yeah, it was that convicting of a question. Why do wives do that? They just know what to ask right at that moment, and you're like, you don't need to ask that question. And I kind of stumbled and stammered, and I said, you know, honestly, hon, when I don't feel the weight of the responsibility of my family and the 400 families that are in our, in our company, that's probably when I won't feel the weight of the pressure of all that, and I just, I think I'll relax then. I think that's when I'll, I'll probably calm down and really enjoy my life, and I won't feel the anxiety. And she kind of looked at me and said, really? So when's that going to happen? And I said, oh, that's the tough question, isn't it? And then I started preparing this lesson, and I realized how meaningful it was to me. I realized how important this chapter was to me. Because uh, I realized I wasn't anywhere close to where Paul is in this chapter. I'm, I, I mean, you look at me, I look at myself, I'm like, I don't know how he does it. I don't, I don't understand how he can be that content and find that kind of peace and not worry in the circumstances and the things that man went through. It just, I can't get it. So this chapter meant a lot to me, you guys. And so I would ask you, how about you? You know, what anxiety or worry do you routinely carry? What's with you? So most of us don't talk about that a whole lot. We just kind of do it and work through it and keep on rolling. And, but I think we carry a lot as men. And so think about it as we work through it tonight. I think Philippians 4 is just one of the most precious chapters in the Bible because Paul gives us these beautiful ideas how to live a contented life and how to live not so worried, you know. And so I pulled out 10 of his best ideas, I call it, right? So the 10 best ideas of Paul, so if you want to put them up there for me, Will, that'd be great. So this is me rephrasing. Um, and so for guys that think, geez, where'd you get all that? I spent a lot of time working using a homiletic method to dissect, dissect the text, and I distill down to these ideas, you know, and they don't just say it right in the text, and you have to spend some time thinking about it. But if you do, you'll get here. You'll get here. And so what's he say? First, resolve conflicts with people. Rejoice because the Lord is near. Be gentle with everybody. Be grateful to God when you pray. Ask God for help with everything. Take control of your thought life. Model your behavior after godly men. Give money to things that matter to God. And trust God to meet your daily needs. Those are the 10 things I took out of this text, this chapter 4, that say to me, Paul's saying, do these things. These are the things I would expect you to do. And what you're going to experience is the peace of God that surpasses all understanding. It protects your hearts and minds. You'll live in anxiety and worry-free life. Saying, try this stuff, honestly. So this would be my encouragement to you is to take a look at these. And we'll leave these up through the whole lesson. So if you want to take a picture. And again, we're going to have this stuff on our website. We're going to have it in a podcast. I'm not going to go through all these points. I'm only going to go through some of them because we only have 30 minutes. And so we're down to 20 now. So I'll get through some of them. I like to start at verses two through three because I think these are pretty important. I'm going to read them to you. It says, I plead with Yodi and I plead with Syntyche to agree with each other in the Lord. And yes, I ask you, loyal yoke fellow, help these women who have contended at my side 
in the cause of the gospel, along with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. I think this is so clear that Christians should resolve our conflicts with each other. I think that's Paul saying. He's saying, resolve these conflicts between you guys. Conflicts with people are probably my largest source of stress. As my sons have moved to help and work in the business, some I've always said the worst part of work is people, and the best part of work is people. <laughs> you know, they are. They create so much stress in your life and all these conflicts, and, uh, and it's really challenging and it's difficult uh, and makes you uh, go to bed at night so stressed out and so upset when you have conflicts with somebody. It's really difficult to think clear. It's hard to function when you're at odds with somebody. And it's interesting, as we, as we train and develop leaders, one of our greatest challenges in our workplace is to develop leaders that will handle conflict. People don't like to deal with conflict. They don't like to challenge anybody. They don't like to step into issues with people. They want to avoid conflict. Don't you find that interesting? And it's exactly what Paul says not to do. Paul's like, step into conflict, solve conflict, resolve conflict. This is, this is really important that you do this, right? Jesus and Paul both said, fix the broken relationships. Where did Jesus say that? If you go into Matthew 18, Jesus gives this very prescriptive protocol for how to deal with broken relationships with brothers and sisters in Christ. And he says, the first thing you do is you go meet them one-to-one. You go meet with somebody in person, Right? You know how many problems would be resolved if people would just go talk to each other? We see this in the workplace all the time. Somebody comes to you and starts complaining about another employee, and your very first question you always ask is, did you share that with them? And 99% of the time, well, no. And you're like, well, you might want to try that, because that might be something you could resolve just on your own. And pretty soon, they just don't, right? They just go the other way, and it all goes away, and they hope the problem goes away. But it doesn't go away, you guys. The problem doesn't go away. And then Jesus says, if that doesn't work, then get two or three others to go with you to work with that person to help resolve the conflict. And so you do that. So you bring brothers and sisters together that are Christian and have Christian values. They understand this principle of reconciliation, and you bring them into the situation to resolve what's broken. This is so uniquely Christian, you guys. I mean, this is what Christ calls us to. And why is it so uniquely Christian? Because it's what Jesus did. He came down to earth and became man. And he died on a cross to reconcile the broken relationship between us and God. That's it. That's what he did. And so he looks at us and says, do what I did. Break, fix that which is broken. Fix that which is broken. And what's broken is relationships with people and relationships with God. This is what he calls us to. So the simple application here, but not so simple, is what conflict with another person do you need to go resolve this week? What conflict do you need to go resolve that you have with another person this week? And I would encourage you to go do it. We're going to jump over to verses 6 through 7 next. Verses 6 through 7. And read you, read you these verses. They're absolutely lovely. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, with prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. God wants us to be grateful to him in every time we pray. I think that's the linchpin in that sentence, right? It says, give your prayers and petitions to God with thankfulness, right? And it gets overlooked a lot. I had a really good friend that's an elder here at our church. And when I first met Dave, he had just spent a, a whole month studying prayer. And I said, all right, Dave, I don't want your month-long notes. I want the cliff notes, right? Like the one second 
you know, you're standing here, you're going to give me the whole key to prayer. And he goes, oh, it's so simple, Bill. Just be thankful. That's it. That's the key to prayer. And I was like, okay, Dave, you got to have a little more than that. And he's like, no, that's not it. I got, that's all I got. And I really, when you start thinking about it, that is the linchpin. I think that's the key part of what Paul's saying is here was when we start thanking God before we start asking God for things, what changes is us. And you sit there and you just start going over, what do I want to thank God for? The first thing you'll do is you'll get stuck because you'll be like, I don't know. But then if you just let yourself start chewing on what you need to be thanking God for, get simple. Thanks for dinner. Thanks for gas in my car. Thanks for a bed. Thank you for a warm house. Thanks for my clothes. And all of a sudden, you start to realize literally everything you have, he gave you. Everything. Like literally everything. And it will take you hours to get through the list. But as you get through the list within minutes, something in you changes first. And all of a sudden, this gratitude in you starts to well up and you're a different person now. And oftentimes, you won't even make it to the petition. You won't even have it in you to ask because you're like, are you kidding me? I mean, really? He's done all of that, and I would be worrying about that? I mean, seriously? And your own mind convinces you how good God has been to you. You don't need someone else to tell you, do you? So this is where Paul says God will give us peace that surpasses all understanding, and that peace will guard your heart and mind. John 14, Jesus says these words, peace I leave with you, my peace I give you. I do not give to you the way the world gives you. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. Jesus promises us that he already gave us that peace. He gave it already. It's not something you have to wait for. It's there. And Paul says it will come and it will guard your heart and it will guard your mind. And one of the keys to that is through thankfulness. So if you want a peace that guards your heart and mind, learn how to be thankful. Start practicing thankfulness and you're going to start finding peace that guards your heart and mind in a way that maybe you hadn't before. It's pretty powerful. Rehearsing God's generosity in my life has had a significant power. And you know what I found is interesting? It's good when I'm alone. It's better when I'm with other people. It's good when I'm alone. It's better than when I'm, other, when I'm with other people. And especially when I've been suffering. When I've been hurting and suffering and I sit with somebody else and I'm allowed to express my fear and anxiety and the fullness of what I felt it. And that person just sits there and takes it in and then says, hey, okay, man, I'm feeling the weight of that. Start rehearsing with me some of the things you're thankful for. Man, is that a hard shift and does it feel good? And especially if it's a deep friend that knows you and, and says something like, hey, remember last week when you had that, that five people quit on your third shift and you got five the next day? Oh, yeah. Remember when you got that flat tire and somebody came and helped you fix it? Oh, yeah. Because they know you and you start to help explore that thankfulness. I'm telling you, it's transformative, you guys. It's in community where Thanksgiving finds a whole new level. So who can you sit with this week to share your anxiety and then your gratitude? Who can you sit with? Who's the guy or gal in your life that you can sit with and share your anxiety and your fear and then your gratitude so that you can start to explore this idea of a peace that protects your heart and mind? We're going to go to uh, verse 8 now, guys. He says in verse 8, finally, brothers, whatever it is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. God wants us to think good thoughts. Those are a list of some pretty powerful words. He wants us to think good thoughts. Your thought life is the driver of how you feel, and that controls what you do. 
Your thought life controls how you feel, and that controls what you do, and most people will argue with that. I would, uh, I, I'll, go, I'll, go, I'll stand on that one for a while. So we are, we are heart-driven people, and our minds control our feelings, our feelings control our actions. Most of us, our single greatest joy comes from what's going on in our head. We listen to news, social media comparisons, and bad music, and we listen to our own voice that often says, you're not good enough, you can't do it. Why are you here? That voice in our head is a real stinker, man. Our phones supply 24-7 connections, 24-7 connections. That thing beeps and grinds and bumps and squirts and makes all kinds of crappy noises. It never stops. It's on you all the time. Talk to me, push me, dial me, touch me. It's just on you. You want to talk about stress? Guys, I'm 57 years old. I was here when those things didn't exist. I'm telling you, we did not have this kind of stress. It was not like this. That thing is it's insane. It just controls you. It's, it's, it's like a demon, man. It's like all over you. And for men, porn, pouring into this thing, right? Constantly coming at you and steady news feeds of death and destruction and bad. Things just all over you, guys. Paul provides some incredible counsel in 2 Corinthians 10. He says this. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of this world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. Oof. Man, that sounds like a guy that's a warrior, right, for Christ, right? He's like, yes. Paul's saying, take control over your thought life. It's yours, it's your mind. Stop giving it over. Stop turning away. Don't be passive. It's your mind. Take control of that space. Don't give it up to somebody else, right? Paul says, think these thoughts, things that are true and noble and right and pure and lovely and admirable and excellent and praiseworthy. Where do we get such things? Well, we get them in the Bible. It's one of the greatest places to find great thoughts to think. Studying your Bible and doing Bible lesson with men is one of the most fantastic ways to fill your mind with good thoughts, you guys. It's fantastic. And you take your Bible out every day, you work on your lesson day by day, you put that good stuff in early, and man, it changes who you are during the day. And then give yourself a break. Turn off your stinking phone. Turn the thing off. Turn off your computer. Turn off your television. Shut it off. Give your mind a break. Give it a break, right? Do something healthy. You want to know the best ways to get your mind ready to, to receive information? Exercise. I'm telling you, any exercise, man, because when you get endorphins going, you get positive, you get happy, you get jacked, then you go do something good. You go read your Bible, you go read a good book, you listen to a good podcast, you go sing some praise and worship music like How Great Thou Art, and man, you are filled with good stuff, aren't you? Like, you're filled. You are like, yes. I got good stuff in there right now, right? The bad stuff's out. And then leave that other stuff off. The screens aren't good. So how will you start taking control of your thought life tonight? How will you start taking control? Take those thoughts captive and make them obedient to Christ, right? It's your mind. It's yours. Take them captive, you guys. That's what he's calling you. How will you start doing it? How are you going to do it? Start tonight. Start tonight. Don't wait. All right, we're going to jump to verse 9 now, guys. Verse 9. Mm. Man, this is good. God's, in verse 9, he says this, Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put into practice, and the God of peace will be with you. 
Very clear, isn't it? God wants us to live like Jesus and follow good men like Paul. Paul says, follow him. He's not an arrogant guy. He's not going, hey, yeah, man, follow me, dude. I'm the guy, right? You know, it's not what he's doing. He's like, I have given up my entire life to follow Jesus. So if you follow me, you'll be following him. If you do what I do, I do what he does, right? I mean, he's just saying, I'm, whatever he's doing is what I'm doing. Follow me. And that's what he's telling you. Follow good men. The role models in your life have a significant impact on what you pursue. They have a significant impact on what you pursue. I get a lot of young men who ask me how to scale their business because they come look at what I'm doing like, oh man, you scaled, I wanna scale, I wanna scale, right? And so all these young guys, scale, 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 that's all they think about. And my first question is, why do you wanna make what you're doing bigger? Why do you wanna make what you're doing bigger? And if they're Christian guys, here's what they say. I wanna create a lot of wealth for the kingdom. And you're like, that's a really well-rehearsed Christian answer. Now, let's talk about your ego for a minute. Because I know for me, that's what I'm usually struggling with. I want the recognition that comes with that type of success, and so that most young guys. They really just want to get recognized. And when you've been abandoned as a young guy, recognition is a bigger deal than it ought to be. And maybe some of the success I've had in business is because I just wanted somebody to say, Bill, I, I really love you. You know, maybe I just wanted a dad to say, I think you're pretty awesome, Bill. So we chase that pretty hard, you guys. And so the reason isn't about filling up the kingdom with money most of the time. It's really about taking care of something we need. And you know what's sad is I talk to young Christian guys that are in ministry sometimes, and they'll tell me the same thing. I'm, I'm, I want to be part of something that's huge. I want to scale. I want it to be big. I see this big ministry, and it's going to be all over the world. We're going to do huge things. There's going to be huge crowds. They're going to be reaching many. We're going to be thousands for Christ. And I ask them the same thing. Why do you want it to be big? Why do you want it to be big? All I can say to that is be careful because large is not always where God is at work. Large is not always where God is at work. In Matthew 4.19, Jesus said, come follow me. And Jesus only had 12 so in an American scale, that's pretty little. But in God's scale, that was huge. The men we look up to, guys, are often the men who set the ideas we pursue in our heads. Be aware whose ideas you're following. Be aware of who I, whose ideas you're following. So who do you really follow in your life right now? Who do you really follow? We're going to go verses 11, 13 now best scripture. Man, so good. I'm not saying this because I'm in need, for I have learned to be content. Whatever the circumstances, I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in, in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want, I can do everything through him who gives me strength. God helps us learn to be content in all situations. The key word, I think, in this text is he said, I learned to be content. Paul learned to be content. That man suffered, you guys. He suffered. He lived on the wealthy side of the Jewish town, and God, he saw what that was, and God put him on the really suffering side of the Christian town. That man suffered. And in Rome, when he wrote the letter to the Roman church in chapter 5, he said, suffering will shape you. It will shape your character. It will shape your hope, and it will shape your faith. Suffering is good for us, you guys. This is what he was talking about. Had a wise older man in a church I used to go to named Wally Gilchrist. 
And Wally caught me after a Promise Keeper event. I had 60 guys here in Indy, two busloads. I came back. We all gave these rousing testimonies in front of the church. We're all jacked and pumped, you know. And, ah! you know? and I'm walking out the door, and I just felt like I had taken the whole world on, and I won, right? And so I'm pumped up, and I'm walking out the door, and Wally walks up. Older guy, he's kind of hobbling. He puts his arm around me, and he goes, you know, there's no growth on the mountaintop. And then he just walked away. <laughs> and I thought, and I literally thought in my head some cuss words. Like, I'm like, seriously, dude, I just killed it up there. Like, did you see that? Like, I slayed that dragon. Like, I took on all of hell and we won. And he's looking at me, just shaking his head. And he's like, oh my gosh, you gotta be kidding. And then later on, I, ca I called him back that night. I was mad. I'm like, Wally, what was that all about, man? Like, that really stung. And he said, well, you know where all the growth happens, Bill? It's in the valley. Oh, oh, wow. When I found peace and contentment in one of the hardest weeks of my life last week, it was through men who truly knew me and loved me. But I couldn't really have those relationships to lean on because it's taken me a lot of years. If, it, you know, those relationships wouldn't have been there had I not invested in other men I have literally been working with men for 30 years, my, 30 years of my life. And it's taken me a long time, a long time to figure out the only way those relationships would work for me is if I opened up. Because what I was doing with men was I was saying, I want you to see the successful Bill Moore. I want you to see the rock star Christian Bill Moore. I want you to see this all put together Bill Moore. And so when guys would come to connect with me, I, I was like, no man, got a car, I got a girl, I got a house, I got kids, I got it buttoned up, man. Like, I'm tight, and I want you to see that. And so when a guy's like that, how do you meet his emotional needs? How do you get to those? So you know what I was? Lonely, isolated, afraid, anxious, worried, discontent, because nobody knew what I needed because I wasn't letting them in. I wasn't telling them that stuff. And it wasn't until the last seven years of my life where some guys have helped me explore this idea that if people see the real bill then the real bill will actually get real help and the real needs that you have will get really met and I was able to say some of the first times in my life I'm afraid I'm scared of failing I'm scared of losing all the money I'm scared of failing my wife I'm scared of my wife dying I'm scared of my kids dying I'm scared and when you sit with some guys and you can really say I'm scared when something like what happened to me last week happens, they know I'm scared. And so they call you and say, Bill, I know you're scared. I'm with you, man. And you know what's even better? They don't just call you. They come hang out with you. So what are you hoping men won't see in you that's keeping you isolated? What do you hope men won't see in you that's keeping you isolated? Paul said, I can do everything through him who strengthens me. I'm finding I get strength from Jesus when he works through other Christians who help me. I didn't realize that before. I never made that connection that God works through other men and that gives me strength. And that's what he might be talking about here. Paul had these men all around him and he's thanking him in this letter, isn't he? And Jesus had men all around him. There's something to that, guys. He's looking at this and going, you get strength from the brothers. I work in the brother. The brother strengthens you when you're weak, 
When you're at your weakest, the brother strengthens you. And when your brother's weak, you strengthen him. I work through you. You're part of the process. This is a critical piece. Wow. You know what doesn't help is more time alone. More time alone. So when these, some of these ancient Christian fathers said, the spiritual discipline means you need more time alone, memorizing scripture and alone and alone and alone. I totally disagree. I totally disagree. You don't need more time alone, guys. You need time with your brothers. When you're hurting, when I was hurting last week, time alone is the last thing I needed. What I needed and what I got were men like my brother John Ish sitting right over there. <laughs> John came to my house and he rang the doorbell at nine o'clock and he opened the door and he said, Bill, I'm with you. I love you. What do you need? And he's a heart surgeon and he said, I remember having a boy die in my hands. I know what it feels like when somebody dies that you're responsible for. And I went, wow. Now that I needed to feel because I knew John felt what I was feeling, the guilt of a man dying because you were irresponsible. It's overwhelming, you guys. It's overwhelming. And when another man can say, I know what that feels like, it really helps. And then when he loves you and he hugs you and says, I'm listening to you, I hear you, and he prays over you, that gives you strength. That's what gives you strength. It's powerful, you guys. It's powerful. So I want to tell you this. When another brother's hurting, put your Bible away. Stop quoting scripture. Don't do that. Stop. My brain was so flooded with a chemical called cortisol, I couldn't think. So you can talk to me all you want. I couldn't think. Why could I talk? I couldn't talk last week when I was here. I couldn't. I had just gone through this most traumatic thing of my life. My brain's flooded with a chemical, will not allow me to think. So you're talking scripture at me, and you're trying to convince me intellectually of something about God. I can't hear you, but I can feel you. And when you got your arms around me and you're holding me and you tell me I love you and I'm with you and I'm for you, you got down in that pit with me and you held me. That I can feel. And that's real. And that heals. That heals. Scripture comes later, a couple days, maybe a week later. That's when the Bible will work for you. But guys, if you want to be the kind of guy that brings strength to a brother when he needs help, be there with him. Stand there with him. Hold him. Get next to him, pray with him, love him, listen to him, and empathize with him. Tell him you understand how he's feeling, but don't fix him. Don't do that. That's not good. Jesus never did that. When somebody was hurting, Jesus didn't do that. He came to them, and he met their needs, and he loved them, and he was with them, and then he loved them and cared for them, and then he would slowly introduce them to who God of the universe was, didn't he? He gave him his heart, he healed their need, and then he started talking to him. And that sequence is not inconsequential. Pay attention to what Jesus did. It matters because that's men, how we heal each other. Guys, who will you go see this week who is hurting that you can provide strength to? Like Paul talks about here. Do you want to get content? Do you want to experience the contentment and the peace God talks about? The way you do it is through other men, each other. You've got to come together. We've got to come together. It's when we come together as men that we start to heal each other. Let the real you be seen. Let the real you be seen so people can re meet your real needs. And you will find strength and healing because the body of Christ carries the Holy Spirit of God in it. 
And it has power that you cannot possibly imagine. I've never felt stronger in my life than I do right now. And it's because the body of Christ and the men who've come around me in the last week have lifted me up and carried me and I feel it. And I'm strong because of it. And I'm content. I've taken to heart what Paul is saying and I know for me, I have a problem and it's an addiction to stress and adrenaline. That's how I work. I get stressed out, I get an adrenaline rush, I work hard, I succeed. It's hard for me to break that, you guys, and I'm working on it, but I'm hungry right now. I wanna find more peace in my life and I wanna live with less anxiety. Philippians four is God's word path through Paul to us. And I'm praying that when you're anxious and you're worried, you'll go back through chapter four and you'll remember what God has provided through Jesus Christ to help you and how he's working through your brothers to reach you. Well, welcome everyone. We are on the back end of our final week, week number five. Woo! Can't believe we finished. We finished strong. We made it. We got through it. We made it. We're at the end of our October study and we are looking now towards January. But before we do that, I'm sitting here with Bill. Again, my name is Taylor Moore. I'm the president of Heart of a Man. I'm sitting here with Bill and we are going to look back a little bit on a couple points that we didn't get to. Ten strong points. We didn't get to all ten, did we? So we're going to touch on a couple more of those here. Um, Bill, which ones do you want to jump back on and touch on? Yeah, there's so much here, Taylor. It was just a great lesson. I really uh, I really needed this lesson. It was valuable to me. It impacted me at a time uh, when I needed to. I really needed God to speak to me, and he did. Um, I certainly love the idea of being rejoiceful, and I love the idea for men to be gentle and, uh, with people and let them see our gentleness. I think those are fabulous. Um, but what really jumped out at me is the end of the passage where Paul was describing this this gift he got uh, from from these Philippians. It was a financial gift, and uh, he was thanking them. He was very grateful for them. He was he was sort of reflecting that not many people uh, had given to him at all. In fact, they were some of the only people that had given to him, and he was really grateful for that. It meant a lot to me. He needed it. He was in prison. The only way he could get food and things was from the the food, the money that people were giving to him. So this was a big deal to him at that time, and and he was he was being an instrument of God at that time. I mean, in a mighty way, sharing the gospel to these these guards and all these people in Rome. He was just inspiring at the level he was at, even while he was in chains. And so these gifts were powerful gifts. They had a huge impact on what happened. And he wrote more letters from that point in time. And so I mean, whoever was giving had a huge impact and they probably didn't realize how big of an impact they they were even having at the time but they did and so that giving uh, was important and he and he reflected on it and said you know this giving that people provide has has a has a look to it and he says it's a fragrant offering an acceptable sacrifice pleasing to God I mean that's a that's an incredible description that Paul gives of this money uh, that these people had had donated to him. Uh, aren't those powerful words, Taylor? Yeah, yeah, those are really powerful. Big words to use for something as seemingly simple as giving money, but it's this isn't just something that's great to me. God's looking at this fondly, and to him it, it's beautiful, it's pleasant, it's yeah. strong language. Yeah, these are an acceptable sacrifice, meaning that these people made a sacrifice. It was probably It was probably tight for them. It was a sacrifice. It wasn't in their abundance and their overflow, they were giving from what they had, not in excess of what they had. They had to make a sacrifice. And God says that's an acceptable sacrifice, meaning there's ones that aren't acceptable. You know, there's sacrifices we make that just 
aren't what he's looking for, you know, but that in particular, he called acceptable. And it was something that pleased God that, that these people would choose to give to Paul. And so you look at that and I don't know what jumped out to me when I read that is God is pleased when we give financially to the things that matter to him. When we align our hearts to the work that he is doing and we can see it with our eyes and we can see him at work and it moves our emotions and we we watch and we go, God's moving in a big way there and something in you says, you've got to give to that. When that movement in our heart stirs, God's like, yes, respond to that. When you feel that, respond to that, you know? And so he's asking us to do that. He's saying, I want you to be moved by those things and give financially to those things, sacrifice to those things, and don't be afraid to do it. Don't be caught up and afraid. That's more, that's hard, isn't it? I mean, it you is. got a lot of people coming at us for money, don't we, Taylor? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And it's easy to get afraid, especially when the church or people, organizations are asking you for money and you see it, you feel moved, and then you look at the bank account and you go, how much? Well, I got to make that car payment. I got to make that house payment. I'm not sure I can make those payments. Yeah. What am I giving out of at this point? Not, and, not a lot. And I tithed already. I gave 10% to the church already. My 10's so, done. So now I'm thinking, oh my gosh, I got to give more. And he's saying, yes, give more. Give more. Why? Why would I give more? Because he says in the next verse, and God will meet all your needs according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. He says, you can give freely because I will meet your needs. Mm. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid, you know. Don't worry about it. Don't be afraid because I will make sure that you're taken care of in an abundant way when you give that way. That's a powerful thought. It is, and it feels like we almost shortchanged God in a lot of ways when we don't give out of that position because we don't give him the opportunity to meet our needs and for our faith to grow. That is it. That's the that's the faith stretch. And I'll tell you, it's confusing for me and probably is for you as well because we have so many people saying, you know, we need to sow our seed of faith. And, and we got so many people saying, give, give, and you got just noise of people. It just seems like there's an just a clamoring of people grabbing at you and clawing at you. And it's like, how do you know? Like, mm-hmm. I, what, where am I supposed to give? I mean, it's like God's working everywhere and he is doing a lot of good things, but you can't give to everything. So how mm-hmm. in the world does one possibly know? It's so confusing. Yeah, and where do we where do we interpret or figure out where it's almost biblical manipulation and where it's truly a, a godly, God-honoring, fragrant awesome thing that God would want us to give to because there are organizations and things out there where where people are using the Bible and the words of God and this kind of God, godly speech to get you to give and there's an ulterior motive. Yeah. How do we root that out? How do we think about that? Because yeah. that, that's a that's a tough... I read this and my first thought was that, I mean, I agree that this is good to give to, but it feels almost hey, like Paul is a little manipulative here. Yeah, yeah. But it's not. It's, it's not. It's not what's happening not. here. Paul is so grateful. He is so grateful. He he can't say thank you. He doesn't know how to say it in any other language. This mm-hmm. is, is this is a heartfelt thank you as he can possibly give, uh, because he did have just this one set of people giving to him. Nobody else was, and he desperately needed it. Um, mm-hmm. So he was saying thank you, not manipulating in any way. You know. So I think the I think the thing that has been easier for me to discern is when I know. 
God is putting it on my heart and he says, so, you know, where your treasure is, there your heart will be. Mm-hmm. And it's like, okay, when my heart, God will move my heart. There's something in my heart that will move and not for recognition. When I'm giving for recognition, that's not the place where God is moving. That's mm. the place where I'm wanting to be recognized. And that's when he tells us, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. That kind of giving is what people that need uh, some kind of recognition want. That's not God moving. That's you with an emotional need. But when your heart breaks for something that God calls you to, you'll know it because you won't need anyone to know and you'll move and you'll give and you won't care if a single person on the planet hears about it because God has moved your heart to that place. Well, the heart of a man is really what God's after and God's heart is aligning with a man's heart. And when that happens, we change, we're different. And, and Paul's saying, you're gonna find a deep contentment that you can't describe. You're gonna find peace and contentment when you give away what you don't actually own and you just release that stuff that you don't own. That, that is one of the secret, one of the deep secrets of life that Paul gives us is let go of stuff, let it go. Because when you let go, it brings you a tremendous amount of peace. And I think that's what he puts a bow on this lesson around. The last thing is, Seek God for everything you need. Give away what you don't need. Just give it away. Give it away. And in that, you're going to find deep, deep peace. And I think that's how he wraps up this lesson of 10 great ideas on how to be at peace with yourself. Change your heart by giving it away. It's beautiful, isn't it? It's the heart of a man. It's the heart of a man right there. Well, we did it. Yeah, we made it. October is finished. We're looking now towards January. We are going to be studying Acts of the Apostles. So come back in... uh, few weeks here. We're not too far out. We're not far out. After the Christmas break ends, the New Year's ends, we're going to jump right back in January 7th and be studying Acts of the Apostles and seeing the transformation of some men that look like cowards to men that look like crazy, reckless, abandoned disciples. It's pretty exciting. Pretty exciting. So thank you again, Bill, for an incredible, incredible October. And we look forward to what God has in store for January. Amen. Thank you guys all for listening, and we will catch you here soon. 